Today, we're continuing on in our series, uh, walking through the book of 1 Corinthians, um, and we find ourselves in chapter 12 today. So I'm going to read now uh, chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord, and there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, once again, thank you for your word. I pray this morning as we really dig into this text and really try to understand uh, what you were wanting to say through the Apostle Paul, um, I pray that you help us understand this with our minds, that you would help us believe this deep down in our hearts, and that you would change us as a result of... um, reading your word and studying your word, that you would change the way um, we live uh, when we leave this place. And you help us look more like you this week. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. I want you to think about something for a moment. I want you to think about this question. Uh, What is the best gift you've ever received? I want you to think about it. Like, think of, if you can't think of the best one. Just think of a gift maybe you really, really liked. I want that to kind of come into your mind. And now I want you to think about the occasion for which you were given that gift. Like, why did you receive it? What was the occasion for you receiving that gift? I want you to, I started off this way because I want us to recognize that Um, Our culture sees gift-giving in a certain way, and it's actually a little different than the way the Bible would see gift-giving. And here's the difference. The difference is that oftentimes our gifts that we receive in our lives are related to something we've done. It's either by performance, it's either maybe an award, it's maybe a, a, a bonus, it's maybe performance based in the area of work. Or school, Um, we see this in sports a lot. We see awards with music and entertainment. Um, That's one kind of gift we can receive. Another kind of gift we receive are things from uh, for us just kind of um, being who we are. For example, our birthdays. Right? We receive gifts on our birthdays. We receive gifts on Christmas. Maybe we get anniversary gifts, Valentine's Day gifts. Right? And these are gifts, even though they're not necessarily based off performance. It is very much based on you, who you are, the receiver. And when that gift is given, oftentimes it's, it's understood that you can do whatever you want to with that gift. That gift is yours. 
They get this to be used on you, to be enjoyed by you, and to do whatever you want to do. That's kind of when, when the giver gives that, that is the design of a gift. It's almost just like, hey, when I give someone a gift, it's like you deserve this. This person deserves this gift. I'm going to give it to them. And it could also sneak into the receiver of saying, yeah, I deserve this gift. It, it's my birthday. I kind of deserved these gifts because I'm a year older. And here's the deal. What Paul is going to say about spiritual gifts today runs contrary to this idea. It really pushes back, pushes back and challenges our culture's view of this achievement-oriented society that we live in. This idea that gifts are given either because I've done something really well or they're given to me to be able to enjoy by me, by myself. They're to be used on me. And so Paul is going to challenge this today when he's talking about spiritual gifts and the nature of how we receive those gifts. Now, before we get into this, and really this kind of goes, this is something that we'll, we will continue to talk about for the next several weeks. Um, our desire is to be a church that is centered on the biblical gospel. On one hand, we want to be a church that, that passionately pursues God and his word, we, that we know the word, we want to study the word, we believe that it's a lifetime thing to, to dig into the word and learn about God and who he is. And we think there's a lot of benefit that comes along to that. But we also, on the other side, want to be a church that lives in the power and, and lives life in the power of the Holy Spirit as the scriptures direct us. We want to be both of those things. We want to be a church that is spirit and truth, that we don't lean too much to truth and forget about the spirit, or lean too much to the spirit and forget about the truth that is found in God's word. And if you're like me, um, really my first 10 years of my, of my walk with Jesus in my Christian life, I leaned more heavily towards being a, a Bible person. I was more of a truth person. I, I would study the scriptures, want to know about God. I, I loved kind of theology and really digging in and, and reading the dead guys that aren't around anymore, that are kind of difficult to read, but have a lot to, 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 to illuminate as far as the scriptures go. Like that, those were the things I loved to do. But I often made me nervous to talk too much about the Holy Spirit or talk too much about our experiences with the Holy Spirit within the church. Now, some of you may be on the flip side of that. You may be really comfortable with the Spirit. Maybe you're really comfortable with the, the experiences you've had, the experiences you've seen from the Holy Spirit. You kind of live your faith in a very experiential way. Um, there, there's ups and downs. Maybe it's sometimes unpredictable. And I would challenge you maybe that have you um, given enough attention to God's Word? Have you given enough attention to the truth? Have you given enough attention to study and knowing the character of God as revealed in his word? So I want to kind of just say that this morning to frame this conversation. Because as we get into this and talking about the Holy Spirit, um, you may get a little uncomfortable. You may really try to feel like this is, this is different. I haven't heard this before. This is new to me. And if that, if that kind of describes you, I would just continue to challenge you to go back to God's word. We're going to stay as close as we can to the word of God for the next several weeks. Not that we try to do that normally, but I really want the word to speak for itself over the coming weeks. So here's what we're going to look at this morning, okay, in, the, in this first half of this chapter 12 of Corinthians. Number one, we're going to look at why Paul wrote this. With this whole book, we've seen its context is really important, and there was a reason why Paul wrote what he wrote. It was, it was often a reaction to something happening in this church. 
The second thing we're going to look at is what the purpose of the spiritual gifts are. Just a big kind of general idea. Why does God give spiritual gifts to the church? And then we're going to look at um, a few of the gifts and what those are uh, in this list that we're going to come across in this chapter. So let's look at verse 1, why Paul wrote this. Verse 1. It says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. Okay, so he's, he's there. He's teeing it up here. He's saying, when it comes to spiritual gifts, I want to teach you more. I don't want you to be uninformed. Okay, so there's a reason why, again, Paul is, is writing this. Okay, the spiritual gifts were being used in the first Corinthian church, in the Corinthian church. And we're going to see how um, Paul addresses how they were doing those things in the coming weeks. Okay, so that idea of spiritual gifts you see there. Verse 2, you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols. However, you were led. Really what Paul, the point Paul's trying to make here is that we all worship something. Right? We're like walking worship centers, right? All of us are. Uh, if you're a, not a follower of Jesus in here, I guarantee you you're worshiping something. If you are a follower of Jesus in here, Hopefully, your heart and your affections are now um, aimed toward God and you're worshiping toward God. But that doesn't make you immune or me immune to get off track and start wanting to worship other things. So Paul, in a sense, is saying, hey, remember when you were pagans, which if if that's uh, an odd term to you, that just means someone who's not a follower of Jesus, right? So he's saying before you came to know know Jesus, before you were a Christian, you um, were were, were worshiping um, idols, And he's saying the idols you were led to, the idols you were focused on, were mute. They had no power. The Holy Spirit that he's going to talk about, he's going to talk about the Holy Spirit speaking through people and the activity of the Holy Spirit. And he's going to compare that to these pagan idols who are mute. They're powerless. So if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, I just would want to challenge you, what are you worshiping this morning? And how to figure that out is, is what do you love? What do you... Live your life for. What's in the world that's become part of your identity? What do you value above everything else? What do you say about that? If I lost this, then I would question if life was still worth living. So, what, so maybe what, was, if what is taken away from you, that could be what you are worshiping. It's a question that us Christians have to, have to wrestle with all the time, and I encourage and challenge you to wrestle with that as well. But Paul is saying here, is saying that to the Corinthian church, be careful, right? We're worshipers. Be careful. And then he looks, look at verse 3. Therefore, I want you to understand, because you're worshipers, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, what he's saying here that it's it's pretty straightforward, but he's saying that if you if you don't if you have the Spirit of God, you're not going to say Jesus is accursed. You're not going to say those kinds of things. You're not going to say that Jesus doesn't exist or may He not be real. Those kind of accursed type language. You're not going to say that if you have the Holy Spirit, and you're not going to be able to say Jesus is Lord. You're not going to have to be able to have the confession that Jesus is my Lord and my Savior and my King without the Holy Spirit. Because once you get into the spiritual gifts, and this was for sure happening in this church, there's a lot of, is this of the Spirit? Is this not of the Spirit? Is this, is this, is this language that they're, they're speaking in? Is this from God or is it not from God? And so really he's giving them a test. He's saying, if they're talking negatively about Jesus, then it ain't from the Spirit. 
If they're, if they're worshiping God and they're worshiping Jesus, then it is from the Holy Spirit because someone can't do, can't do those things without the Holy Spirit. If you remember, Paul in chapter 11, last chapter, he was addressing uh, the socioeconomic differences and stratification um, and, and division between the rich and the poor around the communion table. That was his main deal. That there, were, there were these differences, and they were treating one another different based off their status in society. In chapter 12, he's going to address a spiritual division or stratification that's starting to happen in this church. They're beginning to look at one another and compare spiritual gifts. Okay, they're, they're, they're really seeking after certain gifts because it, they seem more powerful or more showy or more important. And remember, this is a culture, not unlike ours, that is obsessed with power and status and wanting to, to be seen and be known and be, uh, and be um, affirmed by other people. That is our culture as well. And so Paul is, is really wanting them to remain unified, and this whole thing is about trying to keep them unified around the Spirit and telling them about the spiritual gifts, that there's not differences in spiritual gifts as far as some are better than others. That's not the case. And he's going to work that out as we get into the next couple of uh, chapters in um, the book. He, uh, Paul would also say that one's maturity and spirituality is not measured by spiritual gifting. I'm going to repeat that again. One's maturity and spirituality is not measured by spiritual gifting. Okay? It's based upon Jesus being your Lord. This is why he makes the statement there, confessing Jesus is Lord. Okay, that's that the way someone does that is only if they have the Holy Spirit. Okay, so the most important thing in, the, in a follower of Jesus is, is that person submitting their life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That they would know him and love him and follow him and serve them and confess that he is their father, that he is their savior, that he is their king. Those things take precedent over what kind of spiritual gift you have. Another way to say this is it's not the gift that brings spiritual maturity, but how you use and exercise the particular gift that God has given you. That's the marker of maturity. And we as a church need to hear that, and we need to believe that, that there aren't gifts that are better than others in the context of the local church. Verse 4, let's keep going. Paul says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. You have these three pairs that Paul lines up. He says, there are varieties of gifts, varieties of service, and varieties of activities, and those are each paired with, but the same Spirit, but the same Lord, but the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Okay? So, um, first thing we need to understand about this is that um, these are, again, spiritual gifts. And the, the word that Paul is going to use for spiritual gifts from this point forward through the next several chapters is the word of charismata. Charismata, that's the Greek word for it. And you can hear a lot in that word. That, that's how you would say it in Greek. But you hear charisma. Um, you hear charismatic. It's where we get these words, right? And that word, um, charismata, the root word of that is charis, which is grace. So literally, when you hear the word spiritual gift, you should think grace gifts. These are gifts that are given to people that they aren't deserving of it. They didn't work for them. They didn't perform their way into it. They were given as an act of grace by God to a follower of Jesus. That's what spiritual gifts are. 
Okay? And so we could also say that everything we have from God is a gift, right? And that's that, that we get that through grace. So immediately we should be feeling the, humil- the, 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 the humility that this gives a follower of Jesus, right? That we can never take pride in our gifts. We can never brag about our gifts. We can never put ourselves up on a pedestal because we were gifted in a certain way. Because God is the one who gives the gifts. We don't earn our way into the gifts. The other thing about these three verses to notice is it's very Trinitarian in its structure. You see, it says, but the same Spirit, but the same Lord, but it is the same God. Okay, there's this Trinitarian structure to this. And so, once again, Paul wants us to think back to the relationship of the Trinity, how the, the God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit work together, but they are one God. But yet they, they um, reveal themselves in different ways. They, they engage with humanity in different ways, but they are one God. Okay, there's diversity in their unity. Okay, and this is one big idea of the church. We are unified, but we are not uniform. That's not the, the calling is not for us to be uniform as a church. The calling is for us to be diverse in our unity. And that could be the, the title of this, of this passage, diversity in unity. That's what Paul's trying to say. He keeps saying, here are all the gifts, but they're given by one God for one church, but we are, we are varied in our giftedness. Okay? Now, let's look at what the purpose of the spiritual gifts are. This is uh, verse 7. Okay, this is really important. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And if you go back to the end of, of, of verse 6, you'll see, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. And then to each is given, I mean, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Two important ideas here. Everybody or every Christian is given a gift, okay? And I think they're There are probably people who have more than one gift. But for sure, every Christian has at least one spiritual gift. That's what the text says here. Everyone is given a spiritual gift. And it's for the common good. Okay, It's not for building up of self. It's not for even personal spiritual growth. Although that is an indirect effect of it. It is for the common good. So remember, these are grace gifts. They're given to everyone. So everyone has a grace gift. It's not earned, it's given by God. And it's for the common good. God gives these gifts to one another to build up the body so it's healthy, encouraged, it has purpose, um, etc. And we're going to get into that more um, in the next half, the next half of chapter 12, or the second half of chapter 12. Now, I want to make a differentiation quick, a distinction, I should say, uh, between um, just skills and abilities that all humans have, right? That's, that's what we would call common grace. You're born with a gift. You maybe learn a gift when you're young. You're really good at something. God gives those gifts to people when they're born for the building up of society for the common good. That's called common grace. That's not what Paul is talking about here. He's specifically talking about spiritual gifts. Now, those things can overlap some. It could be the thing that God empowers you in is the same area that you're naturally gifted in. I'm not saying those things are mutually exclusive as they're worked out, but when we think of spiritual gift, we need to think of a follower of Jesus that's been uniquely, um, um, we've been, have the spirit, and the, the spirit works uniquely in that person's life to build up the body. That's what 
a spiritual gift is. So it's different from just being um, really smart, right? People are born really smart with really high IQs, right? Having a high IQ is not necessarily a spiritual gift. Now, you may have the gift of knowledge or the gift of wisdom. The, 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 The Spirit may impart that to you, and that would go well with being a really smart person, right? So that's how they can fit together. But having a really high IQ is not necessarily a spiritual gift, so the question we need to start asking ourselves that we'll, that we'll pose every week is, are you, and asking, am I, um, using the gift that God has given me? Am I a, primarily a consumer of everyone else's giftings? Or am I giving, am I bringing what God is giving me to the table that fits with everyone else's giftedness. And I don't want to get too much into that because, again, that's what we're going to cover in the second half of this chapter. But we need to start thinking about that because this is something that the Corinthian church would have definitely been thinking about and wrestling with. Now, verse 8, we're going to come up on our first list of spiritual gifts. These are one of four or five spiritual gift lists in um, the New Testament. Now, there are overlaps between these lists. If you can find these, if you do any Google search, you can usually find a chart with the, the Scripture reference and the list of the Scripture. If you just look at them, there is some overlap, but there's not overlap in, in every way. And so it's a little confusing when you try to figure out what, is, what are all the gifts that the, the, the church is given by the Holy Spirit. Um, there are similarities in the gifts, um, in the gift lists, when you look at them in the New Testament, but there are uh, really big differences as well, and we just need to know that um, going into this. Um, we're going to quickly define these, but we shouldn't get caught up in um, the specifics of all of the gifts. And is this, is this um, exhaustive, this list? And which one am I? And, and again, it's good to ask, how has God wired me? How has God gifted me? But don't turn this into a, some kind of like a very strict spiritual gifts test where you start assigning gifts out. That's not what these gift lists were really meant for, okay? They're, we're to be aware of them, we're to, we're, to, we're to read them, we're to consider them, but be careful starting to assign gifts uh, to one another or to yourself. Really, Paul's primary purpose in just listing gifts is to show that there's a variety of them. Here's all the gifts. There's this one, there's this one, there's this one, there's this one, um, and then in other places, he'll say there's this one, there's this one, there's this one. So Paul's really point is to say there's a lot of different gifts. There's a variety of them. And they all lead us to do different things. Um, so um, the gifts. Let's start in verse 8. And you can almost see this as an illustration from Paul. Paul finishes in verse 7 saying um, they're given to everyone for the common good. And then he starts in to say, well, well, let me give you some examples here. So he says, for to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge. Now, I have some definitions up here um, to help you kind of follow along as I read these. We're not going to really explain a lot of these, but I at least wanted you to have a, a, a quick overview of what these <clears throat> gifts are. And you can define them a little bit differently. Everyone does. But I tried to get the heartbeat here. Um, wisdom or knowledge encourages others to live their lives in accordance with the gospel. This, this gift does. Words of knowledge and wisdom are best understood as the illuminating prompting of the Spirit to bring about knowledge of God or knowledge of self that is faithful to Scripture and brings about the maturity of the church. Okay, so it's pretty straightforward and explanatory, right? And and I lump those two together because most commentators think either these two are 
or he's being repetitive here, or at least they're, they're like uh, sister um, um, gifts, right? They, they parallel one another. They fit one very well together. It's sometimes hard to differentiate between wisdom and knowledge. And so I've kind of paired both of those together. Let's keep going. Um, verse 9, to another faith by the same spirit. You'll notice one, another thing Paul does here. He keeps saying, by the same spirit, one spirit. Again, he goes back to the unity of the, the Trinity and that God's giving this to us and the unity of the body as he's explaining these different gifts. Faith. What is faith? It's not the faith that has been granted to followers of Jesus upon belief. Okay, that's saving faith. That's different. Okay, um, this kind of faith believes um, in the sovereignty of God and, that be- and believes that he is capable of intervening in supernatural or mundane ways. Okay, so this is the kind of person who has this deep-seated belief that God is going to move no matter what the circumstances are. And you've probably been around these types of people. There, there, there's very, there may be internal doubt, but they operate in such a way that God gives them this boldness and this belief that he is, he's going to act. And it may be in supernatural ways or it may be in mundane ways, but there's just this faith that God can move mountains, as, as the Gospels would say, right? And there's this, this, this uh, uh, feeling and, again, giftedness. It's kind of hard to explain. Um, and, and so if that, you may be thinking, well, that may be me or that's someone else that I know. But you kind of can feel this gift if you've been around this kind of person for any length of time. The next one, to another, gifts of healing by the one spirit. So gifts of healing. And I've quoted Anthony Thistleton here because this one... Um, uh, is a little bit longer, but I, I have it up here. Um, <clears throat> healing implies various kinds of healings, and the kinds may include sudden or gradual. Okay, so it could be really quick or over time, physical, psychosomatic, or mental. Um, so kind of it could be our whole person, any part of our personhood. Um, the use of medication or more direct divine agency and variations which are not to be subsumed in advance under some stereotypical pattern of expectation. Okay, so kind of saying there, don't, get, don't, don't make this formulaic, okay? This doesn't happen. We can't control this. We don't know why this, when, and what happens when it comes to healing. He says, healers are given varied gifts at varied times for varied tasks, and we should not impose a post-18th century dualism of natural and supernatural upon the ways in which God chooses to use or not use Regular physical means. And again, this is Anthony Thistleton, his commentary on uh, the book of 1 Corinthians. So let me give you an example to, to kind of uh, show kind of what this encompasses. Um, my dad was diagnosed with cancer, gosh, it's been probably 15 or 16 years ago now. And um, he, uh, he's, he's healed now. He's been cancer-free for over 10 years, um, kind of pronounced cancer-free. And... Um, I believe God healed him. Now, you may ask, how did God heal him? Well, he healed him through prayer, supernaturally, I believe. He healed him through really, really good cancer doctors that God gave the intellect to actually do the work that put them by him when he needed them. And I think he also was healed by this state-of-the-art technology in medicine that they were able to give him the kind of medicine and hit him with the kind of radiation machines that were able to um, rid him of the cancer. And I think he was healed by all of those means. And I'm comfortable saying that. And I think this is what Anthony Thistleton is getting at here. 
And the, the careful, is, careful thing is we want to, most of us want to lean towards one way or the other. We want to say, yeah, God doesn't really heal supernaturally. He heals through medicine. Um, that, it, that is true. I do think he heals, heals through doctors and medicine and the technology and the, the minds that he's given to humanity to be able to do those things. But here's the deal. There are uh, the people that went through that same treatment with my dad, had the same aggressive form of cancer, had the same treatment, had the same doctors who didn't, who weren't healed of cancer, who died. So what happened there? And that's why I believe there was something else, that God's working supernaturally to heal my dad in another way along with these other things. Now, on the flip side, if, if you're more of like, well, we just need to pray and trust God that God's going to move and, 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 and supernaturally going to heal someone with cancer, I would have said, yes, we need to pray. Heck yeah, we need to pray. We need to ask God to move and take this cancer away from my dad. But he better go to the good doctors. He, these, these, these oncologists that are given to us in this medicine and technology, take advantage of that. Those are God's gifts to creation in his common grace. Take advantage of those. See, they're both coming from God, and this is the idea of healing. I do think um, both are part of the gift of healing. And I think those things, two things need to be kept together and not separate. And this is that idea of dualism that Thistleton mentions there. Okay, next. To another, the working of miracles. This one's a little hard. Um, it's coming after healing. Most commentators think that healing is a, is a part of the working of miracles that Paul says here. Um, but it's probably more general and more broad than just healing. So uh, most commentators think this is just a general uh, catch-all that Paul says, that it can refer to anything uh, that God is the author of, that he chooses human beings to work through to accomplish that. Anything outside of the natural laws that we understand about the way our world works. The miraculous, right? When we say that was a miracle, okay, that was God um, um, giving that gift to someone to be able to use at that particular time, okay? Now, I'm going to stop here, and I just want to acknowledge that if, if you're a skeptic and you're starting to think, well, I, I don't know about this, right? I, I, don't, I don't understand this. I don't know about this. This is maybe making me nervous. Here's, here's what, what's happening, okay? I would say that if you are in a tough situation, if you are in a bind, if your life is on the line or someone you love, you love life is on the line, our first instinct is to pray for a miracle for most of us. Our first, we want these things to be true. We want there to be gifts of healing. We want there to be the miraculous that still gets done today. So it's built inside of us that we, we want that. And so my, my challenge to you would once again, wrestle with the scriptures. Ask what is God saying when, when, through Paul when Paul is giving instructions to this church about spiritual gifts. The next one's prophecy. We're going to skip that and save it for later because prophecy and tongues are the two that Paul focuses on in chapter 14. And we're going to get really into those and really define those and what those are and what Paul's talking about. So I'm going to skip that one for today. Um, the next one, to another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. Um, this is the last one that we'll look at today. Um, distinguish between spirits. Uh, most commentators think that this is a discerning, differentiating, and properly judging prophecies. Okay, which again, we'll get into more of that a little bit um, in, in chapter 14, the judging of prophecies. But as well, this can generally mean being able to distinguish what is from the Spirit and what is demonic. 
Okay, what is from the, the, the evil part of the spiritual world versus the Holy Spirit? And someone who can discern spirits, most people think, is saying, no, this is of God and this is not. Right? Sometimes that's easy to tell. Sometimes that's hard to tell. Is this from the enemy? Is this from Satan? Or is this from God? And sometimes that is really hard to tell. And this is where that gift comes in, the, the high-level discernment about the spirits. Now, uh, next he says, to another various kinds of tongues and interpretations of tongues. And again, we'll look at those two things in a couple of weeks when we look at chapter 14. Um, And I will say tongues was uh, really the problem, right? That was the problem that Paul is really writing for, that particular gift. And most people think he puts that at the bottom of this gift list, one, to de-emphasize it because they were really overemphasizing it, but also uh, uh, just to highlight that, like, yeah, this, this is a problem, right? And he's, he's going to come back to this in the letter. Now, once again, if you're wrestling with this, if you're doubting, I want to read a passage that I think will, will help you hopefully dig in a little bit more to the Scriptures. Ephesians six twelve. Because if, if this is true, then it makes the rest of these things a little bit easier to understand. Paul says this in a different letter. For we do not wrestle, we do not fight. Our conflict isn't against flesh and blood, the physical, what we can see, what we can see with and, 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 and have with our senses, but against the rulers, against the authorities, and against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. There's a very real spiritual realm that we can't see fully, that we don't fully understand, but it's there. And we see it woven all throughout the scriptures. There is a spiritual realm that exists inside of us in different ways and also around us. And so if that is indeed true, then it starts to make sense that these, these, these miraculous gifts, these gifts that are hard to understand, maybe hard to put our finger on sometimes, that they actually would exist. And I think this is difficult for our post-enlightenment, rationalistic world to grasp, right? Like, we, we're, 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 we're science people. We want things where we can test it and see it and know it with our five senses and, and do all those things. But again, that science hasn't caught up to these things yet. That's one way to look at it. But there are things out there that science can't put their finger on in our faith, um, So we need to, again, wrestle through this as we come to it in places over the next several weeks. There are spiritual forces out there, and the battle, Paul says, is waged at that level. At least a lot of that battle is, and this is where these these gifts come in to build up the church. Now, I want to tie this to the gospel, okay? Because Jesus, think about this, Jesus was the only one who's ever lived that actually deserved to have gifts from God. Like, we were rebels, we were enemies, we wanted nothing to do with God. We turned our back on God, wanted nothing to do with him. He gives us things, he gives us breath, he gives us food, he gives us life, and we, especially before we were followers followers of Jesus, we didn't want it. We didn't honor him, we didn't glorify him, we didn't recognize, thank you God for these things. We turned our backs on him, yet he saves us through Jesus, and we get those gifts, we get those, the, the grace gifts um, while we were once enemies of God. We are in his family, and now we, get, we receive the grace gifts, but Jesus is the one who actually deserved those gifts. But yet Jesus is the one who was separated from God on our behalf, 
who died a death that we all deserve to die, suffered embarrassment and shame and torture and a a horrible death when he was perfect, when he did nothing wrong, so that we might receive the greatest gift, eternal life in Christ. And I want to go back to that because that sets the stage for everything we're talking about in the gifts. The greatest gift we've ever received is our salvation. We need to remember that. And we are his children. We are in his family now. And then, as a part of the outworkings of the gospel in the world in building up the church, we receive these spiritual gifts. So God really uh, destroys this economy of performance and achievement that our culture loves and our world loves and brings in the economy of giving and serving and laying down our lives for one another. And he starts that with Jesus and he continues that on through the church by giving us gifts so that we can lay our, our preferences down, our, our wants and desires down to be able to love one another through that gifting that God has given us so that the church would be built up. See, Jesus is our model for that and he initiates that, this new economy, like the, 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 the first should become least. The first will become least, or the, the least will become first, right? The upside-down kingdom that Jesus brings in. This is where we see the gospel show up in the gifts, okay? So we don't get these gifts that we're going to be talking about without the gospel, okay? They're outworkings of the gospel to allow the church to continue to, to flourish and be healthy in the world. So what do we do with this? I want to give us a few things to do um, leaving here. Number one, um, a lot of this will come in your prayer life, okay? So if you don't have a consistent prayer life, it's probably, you're probably um, going to be deficient in the Holy Spirit um, using you and working himself out through you, okay? So number one, you need to pray. You need to spend some time alone in silence thinking not talking just to God, but thinking. And here's some of the things you should be thinking about. Asking for spiritual gifts in prayer, right? If you don't know your gift, ask God to, to reveal that to you. God, help me figure out how you've gifted me. Um, help, make that evident. Have other people affirm that gift in me that know me well. God, give me the sense of your spirit working in me when I do things so I can be affirmed in that particular gift, be more open to the Holy Spirit. We talked about this last week. If, if you have a kind of a, a theology that emphasizes God the Father and God the Son, but doesn't, doesn't emphasize God the Holy Spirit equally, um, this, is, this is going to be difficult for you. So maybe your first step is to just pray to be more open to the working of the Holy Spirit in your life. Um, I think another part of this, and this can happen in prayer, just other, other ways as well, being aware of um, how he's already working in your life. The example I like to give is when you're sitting there, maybe doing something else, and someone pops into your mind, right? Or you think you have this kind of like, we we call it out of the blue, or um, it comes out of nowhere, right? What if, instead of saying, oh, my mind just kind of grabbed that out of nowhere, what if we say, well, what if that's actually the spirit that lives inside of me, God, the one telling me, hey, think about this, or hey, remember this person, or reach out to this person, or call this person. Like, what if it's the Holy Spirit instead of just, like, coincidence, or just something kind of happened out of nowhere? Like, start by giving the Holy Spirit potential credit for that. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. Why wouldn't he bring things to your mind 
while you're eating or while you're in the shower or while you're driving your car and random things, right? It's like if you're not thinking about it and it comes up, like what do you attribute that to? What if you attribute it to the Spirit? He probably already is working inside of you and through you more than you even want to give him credit for. So give him credit. Um, and the last thing is, I think this is more of an of a, of a intercession or praying for others, is praying for renewal, right? Like if we believe, and we say this when we pray, that only God can change a person's heart, or only God can change um, a city, or only God can break uh, um, a system of injustice in a particular area, right? And we say those things as the church. So when we say those things, there, there's some built-in belief that we have that God's going to do that, Right? Let's say that, okay, God's going to do that through his spirit, right? We saw that last week. He's going to do those things through his spirit. So let's pray for his spirit to move, um, not only in us, but in our churches, in our cities, in certain issues, in certain sectors of society. Again, when we, it's just basically taking the idea that I want God to move and saying, no, I want your spirit to move in this place, in this church, in this area um, at this time. And continue to go back to God and ask him to move in that area. Let's pray. God, as we move into time of communion, I pray that you would just help us be more aware of um, your spirit. That your very presence lives inside of us. That we are houses for your spirit. That we are the temple of your spirit. That your spirit dwells or takes up residence inside of us. And if that's true, what does that mean? Help us. Bring to mind the, thing, the ways you've gifted us, the ways you've wired us, the, the things that we can add to the body, the things that we can add to the kingdom that would allow your glory to be seen and your son to be made much of. Help us in that way. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.